Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. Hi everybody, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching. Just wanna do a quick introduction. We are helping parents of highly sensitive kids and daily meltdowns in as little as eight weeks. And our mission is to prevent or eliminate suicidal thoughts for highly sensitive children and teens so that we address the trajectory of intense emotions for a lifetime for a family. So today we're gonna be talking about picking your battles. (laughs) I see um, a lot of patterns for parents and this is a big common topic that we see lots of parents speak about which is addressing the idea that when we parent, we need to pick our battles and we need to address major concerns in a way that allows us to keep our sanity. Now, that's important, right? Keep staying sane as a parent. I'm a parent myself. Obviously, we need to keep our sanity. And it's also true that that's very, very hard to do when you're parenting a highly sensitive child who's dealing with meltdowns day in, day out, multiple times a day even. So for those of you who are new, um, I run a private practice in Maryland, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. And I own a private practice in Maryland where, to my knowledge, we are the largest group practice that specializes exclusively in working with highly sensitive children and teens and so in the in the the nation in the u.s so with that being said i also coach parents internationally on supporting their children and helping them manage intense behaviors and eliminate the meltdown cycle in their household especially related to daily meltdowns because as we know no child was born to be miserable and no family wants to deal with that intense emotion without having a strategy to manage and, and shift out of it right so you're in the right place if your child is experiencing big emotions to include meltdowns, to include um, wanting to die or threaten to hurt themselves, or are aggressive and you don't know, you haven't been able to figure out the cycle, all right? So go ahead and and definitely check out all sorts of videos in the Facebook group. So when when we think about what's going on in picking your battles, there are four main patterns that I see for parents, but really what I wanna talk about first is understanding what that means as a parent of a highly sensitive child. So typical common traditional parenting or um, even like pop psychology parenting speaks a lot about the need to pace yourself in adjusting your your child's intense emotions and um, and and setting your expectations and um, adjusting your your day-to-day response to your child's emotions now when your child's experiencing intense emotions on a daily basis and so when we think about intense emotions for for a parent of a highly sensitive child one of the main things that we're going to be focusing on, my dog, <laughs> Porter, leave it, um, is addressing the need 
to communicate their emotions safely, effectively, without going from zero to 60 on a regular basis, right? And so if you're dealing with helping your, ch your child learn that skill, and you have to help your child learn that skill at 8 a.m., at 9.30 a.m., at 10 a.m. when you're late for work, uh, teleworking at this point, it, at noon when you take a break for lunch, at three o'clock when you hear, hear your husband dealing with it because you're finally getting down to a meeting that you're, that's important for you to, to participate or imperative or a requirement for you to participate in, then it can be, overwhelming is an understatement. <laughs> it can feel like you're drowning. And so when we're trying to pick your battles, the question is at this point, Megan, how do I differentiate? What's, um, you know, I don't even know which way's up some days. I don't even know if it's Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, let alone pandemic logic. I'm in meltdown land and I don't know what day it is and I don't know what meltdown I'm dealing with. I don't know what set my kid off and I can't deal with it. And so when, when you think about the common parenting logic about picking your battles, that in and of itself can feel quite paralyzing for when you're, when you're a parent of a highly sensitive child because it's very difficult to let alone know what day it is, um, you know, let alone know what, um, not even know what day it is, but let alone know what, um, which battle to pick. Focusing on knowing not only what battles to pick, but also knowing when to hold your ground. Now, I mean hold your ground. It's not like, do as I say, you know, suck it up. That's another video. I've got plenty of videos on in here on that. What we're talking about is how to prioritize changing your child's behavior so they build effective skills to manage their life, um, to manage intense emotions, to handle challenges, to communicate their needs effectively, and to do that without screaming, yelling, hitting, kicking, throwing on a daily basis. So. First things first, if your kid is yelling, crying, outbursting, having major meltdowns on a daily basis, that's not developmentally appropriate regardless of the age, especially when it comes down to meltdowns. So that's super important because again, it's a common misconception that I'm teaching about a lot. A lot of parents will think that that is typical for sensitive children to experience meltdowns, and it's not. Um, and so when we think about picking your battles, let's just make sure that we're setting the stage on what your expectations can be. Because a lot of parents will wonder, not only what's normal, what's developmentally appropriate, but also what's typical for a highly sensitive child in general. So we think about a couple of things that we're considering when you get stuck in traps of picking your battles for parenting a highly sensitive kid. There's four main concerns that I hear a lot of parents deal with. And uh, especially when I work with clients directly, we're breaking down these patterns. So one of the things to consider that I see often is that a lot of times these battles that are being picked are contingent upon your mood or your child's mood. And really what that means is that the, the trap that you're in is that you're walking on eggshells because you're either walking on eggshells of your mood, not wanting to explode on your child because you're just fried. And, um, not, and that's not just because you're in your own house. <laughs> We're all trapped inside for the most part, but because this has been going on either prior to boot camp or I mean, prior to um, the pandemic or, or 
the pandemic is just shining a spotlight on where your gaps are. So this, this, these concerns, these symptoms that your child is, have been exhibiting have gotten worse and are much more evident now in the pandemic and, and uh, in terms of dealing with it and being stuck at home. So we're seeing a lot of these behaviors spike intensely where parents were either too busy to observe patterns or just had life circumstances like, um, oh, you know, my kiddos had a rough teacher this year or, oh, my kiddo has, um, you know, is having a fight with her friend or uh, they just started soccer. So families will often say um, there's, there's a circumstance going on in the outside environment, outside of the home, that has an impact on highly sensitive kids' mood. But what we know to be true is that the parenting environment is the quintessential impact on the child's meltdowns, mood, and behavior. So regardless of whether or not there's a global pandemic going on, if your child is not managing their intense emotions in a safe way through you as a parent, your child's going to struggle. Um, and so we see, you know, parents just by nature of our society, uh, speaking primarily for U.S. society at this point, but that's pretty pretty prevalent in, in most um, most first world countries where parents are, are dealing with, you know, either two jobs or, or busy schedules regardless, and then kids with busy schedules. So it's hard to pick up patterns when you're in a rat race. And so now that you're not in a rat race and you're in um, what can feel like uh, Groundhog Day, you're seeing more patterns that you might have overlooked or um, pat tagged to outside circumstances. And so it's important to, to line that up and, and understand what's going on for your child's intense emotions. And so if you're considering that now, when you're trying to unpack what's going on now in a pandemic with your child's meltdowns and intense behaviors and intense emotions compared to pre-pandemic, pre-March behavior, uh, I want you to, to you know, really use a magnifying glass in terms of patterns that might have already been there that you just weren't aware of. Um, so right now we talk about the first pattern that we see a lot of parents get into in terms of picking your battles which is that your battles are picked contingent upon your mood or your kids mood so that's that's number one mood mood contingent so let's talk about why that's a trap um you know the obvious issue is that you are walking on eggshells based on your child's emotions so your child is running the show and what that does is that your child feels unsafe when they are in charge of how you parent them um, bottom line, it's a child's needs to feel that their parent has not only got them, but they also get them. So when you're sharing with your child, I get you, and I've got you, um, and you're trying to say that through your words and try to validate emotions, but then you are not holding limits effectively or um, giving in when you wouldn't usually because you think your child is going to melt down then your child feels unstable in that relationship and that breaks down trust. So that's really important because if you're walking on eggshells based on your child's mood, then it's actually impeding the strength of your relationship. Even if after the meltdown, your kid vomits all over you the emotional concerns that they've been having. Um, or we see this play out where, where kiddos uh, can't go to sleep until they just, um, you know, spew forth, and I'm using this word <laughs> purposefully. Sorry for those of you who get grossed out. I don't like puke either, but it feels like your kid is just verbally puking on you, um, all of their emotions, 
because they've been holding it all out or like they've ridden the wave of their intense emotion and then they're finally telling you what's up and you're you've already been fried by that emotion and then you're like well crap now i gotta pick up the pieces and this these are the pieces my kid's been dealing with holy smoly i had no idea that my kid's been dealing with these intense emotions so then what do you do you start to feel well stuck confused and then also try to turn it around because you're a parent with coping skills. So you're like, oh, thank goodness my kid has shared with me. Finally, I know what's going on. But the problem that we see in that respect is that you're, you're still, because of the way you got there in terms of your child eventually sharing with you what's going on, is that it's still creating this dynamic where they are the ones who are um, eventually, when fried, sharing with you what's going on. Your child sharing with you what's going on when they're fried. And so that doesn't feel healing. Uh, it doesn't actually solve the problem for your child. It, it, it's a perpetuating cycle. So that's one trap that we see parents get stuck in when they're following their child's lead on when to set limits. It's very unsafe for kids to feel like their parents are only going to hold them um, either accountable to a certain expectation or show them that they're capable of solving a problem without um, without the parent giving in when the child is even keeled uh, because the, the parent's um, unsure personality or unsure, um, not the, that's not the right word, um, unsure perspective, like you're, un, you're not sure that your child is gonna be able to handle the limit, sends a message to your kid that you don't know what, what they can handle and what they can't handle. Now, we think about like, um, taking this behavior and taking it into, um, you're translating it into common safety language. We think about the fight, flight, freeze response for humans. We gotta take a look at mammal behavior. Um, you might've seen a YouTube video where like the mama bear is going up the, um, the mountain and the baby bear is following that mama bear up the mountain, but the baby bear slides. There's the mama bear's climbing up the mountain. What does she do? She checks on the baby bear. She knows I, she says, I know you can do it. And she's like, here's how we do it. We go up the mountain. And she checks on the baby bear and she waits at the top of the mountain for the baby bear. She does not go to the baby bear and carry the baby bear up. Why? Because the baby bear needs to know how to crawl up the mountain. Now all mammals, some way, shape or form, except humans, do this because the animal has to survive. Now, when you're parenting by walking on eggshells, your child is getting the message, I don't think you can survive. If you're going back down the mountain and you're saying, well, sometimes you can come up and I'll carry you. Other times I'll wait at the top. We'll talk about this in a minute. It's a sec this is another trap. Um, and really it's a matter of whether or not you feel capable, emotionally you're centered. And so that sends mixed messages to your child about what they're capable of doing. Um, and, and we see this oftentimes when parents are swinging on the pendulum of protecting versus pressuring their child. So we see this often, um, you know, if we kind of go straight with my uh, mama bear, grizzly bear, and the, the winter snow hill uh, example, if you're on this pendulum of protecting your kid from intense emotions, what are you doing? You're picking them up and you're walking them up the mountain. You can't handle it. 
Um, I don't think anybody else knows how to help you. I certainly don't know how to help you, so I'm gonna just do it for you. So what does this look like? This can look like um, tying your kid's shoes on um, uh, after they like touched it for a moment and just, ugh, I can't do it, and like melted. Um, it can look like uh, not even asking your kid to tie their shoes. And I'm using this example for parents whose kids are like eight. Now, if your child doesn't have the fine motor skills at three to tie their shoes, you're helping them work through putting on their clogs or whatever the, um, what are they called? Crocs, sorry, I can't handle Crocs. Um, sorry, personal choice, no offense to anybody else. Um, and so, <laughs> um, or like Velcro sneakers, right? Like normal, typical three-year-old type shoes. Um, and so that's developmentally appropriate. But if your eight-year-old is struggling with putting on their shoes, and sometimes you're holding them accountable to that, and other times you're saying, let me do it for you without um, giving them the skills and helping them manage that frustration, then you are carrying them up the mountain with something that they should already know how to do regularly. So what happens? You get frustrated, and then later you say, hey, you know what? You're eight. Get, the, you know, get it together. We got to get out the door. I'm sorry I can't do your shoes for you, but you should have already known that. And what happens? Your child feels shame. And so then your child spirals into another meltdown. So what's going on here, guys? This is another trap. A trap between protecting your child from feeling their big emotions and pressuring them to already know how to handle everything. And so when you're swinging that with a pendulum, sometimes we see two parents swinging like this. Other times we see one parent on this end almost always and one parent on this end almost always and they're just never really meeting in the middle. They just kind of go like this and hover a little bit, dance around the subject. Um, and this kind of brings us to our next one, which we'll, we'll kind of um, uh, trail into in just a minute. But this protecting and pressuring experience that, that you're having with parenting your sensitive child puts you in a position to build and breed resentment in your relationship with your kid. And obviously that's a huge trap because how much more stuck can you feel when you resent your own flesh and blood or your own, your own baby? Um, regardless of whether they're flesh and blood, we work with parents who, who's, who've adopted their kids, so that doesn't matter. The child whom you care for, whom you love with all of your heart, whom you brought into your family, is stuck and you don't know how to help them get out of it. And so sometimes you do it for them and other times you make them do it and they don't understand why. And so what that does is it creates a lot of contention in the household. It creates a lot of contention in, um, especially in two parent households as well. And then who's stuck in the middle? Your kiddo who experiences the brunt of it or witnesses the brunt of it if both parents aren't on the same page. So that's super crucial to break that pattern early because if you think about protecting and, and pressuring, um, that's a lot harder to do when your kid's in high school. Uh, you know, you can't do their homework for them. You can't turn it in. You're not going to walk it into school. And that's just like one small sliver, right? Think about um, high school kids going to hang out with other high school kids who are, um, you know, you're not going to be able to stick a webcam on your kid's back and expect them to make safe choices. Um, meanwhile, you're going to have a hell of a time raising an adolescent with no social contact, right? You can't do either. So you got to address it now. And um, you got to build those habits of trusting your child to manage their emotions and teaching them how to trust themselves to manage their emotions early. Um, and that's really important. So the next thing I think is, is super important to, to address, 
So we did um, change, you know, parenting with the, that's mood dependent. We did parenting because you're walking on eggshells. We did parenting on the pendulum from pre protecting to, to pressuring. And then lastly is um, the, the hope as a strategy. So we kind of kind of tie into that in terms of age and just expecting kids to age out of it. So when we think about what hope means, it means living in survival mode, um, hoping that everything turns out because you're doing the best you can. And a lot of times we see parents throwing things at the wall to see what sticks and doing the best they can by, by doing that. So what does that mean when you're picking your battles? It means that today you're going to follow um, this logic that says, you know, uh, playfully engage with your child, uh, be goofy, be silly, and make jokes about the fact that they can't um, do whatever it is that you're expecting them to do. And then the next day, you're going to um, hold firm, even if they break down, and say, um, I know this is hard, but I know you can do it. And then the third day, you might be communicating with them that um, that they're going to need to do it when they're older and so isn't it easier to learn now and so then you get into a position where you're convincing your kid that they can solve their own problems and so they're fighting back every step of the way uh, because they're not convinced so it's super important to, um, to to clearly break that down because when we see parents who are googling you know day in day out reading up on certain strategies whether or not uh, sticker charts are going to work, whether or not writing down the routine on a calendar is going to work, um, where parents are, are tripped up in terms of setting expectations and understanding um, one provider's or you know one professional's perspective on what's developmentally appropriate, um, talking to a pediatrician who says that your child's just going to grow out of it, that's a hope strategy. So when we think about understanding that hope's not a strategy, it's important to be clear on what, on what I mean by that. A lot of parents will hope that their kid's gonna grow out of it, um, and a lot of pro professionals will be huge proponents of that. This is probably just a phase, let's just see how this turns out in the next six months, and then what happens? Six months from now, you're, you're more stuck than you were before, you're more fried than you were before. Um, other parents will follow through on uh, behavioral interventions like sticker charts or rewards or consequences like taking away the iPad or um, you know saying or, or using threats when you're frustrated so um, like uh, you know if you don't do this then I will take away your iPad but then not being able to follow through because you either a think that's gonna end up in a meltdown or B your kid eventually got it done after an hour of arguing and you don't want to go back on your word that if they didn't do it, you wouldn't take away their iPad. But then it took you an hour to get them to follow through on whatever chore or expectation or you know bedtime routine that you needed them to, to complete. And so you're stuck in another um, rock in a hard place, wondering how to shorten that gap, how to get your kid out of this negotiation cycle. So when we, we talk to parents who are trying to figure this out and, and you know the clients that we work with, they've tried everything 
and uh, they might have might not have tried every uh, professional resource but they've certainly tried everything on the internet they've certainly tried everything in, in parenting books whether or not they've read all the parenting books they've tried in the few books that they've read or have had the time to skim even I mean think about it you're dealing with meltdowns on a daily basis how many books can you actually read especially right now in a pandemic when you're trying to co-work with your spouse if you're a two-parent household and like parent while uh, working from a screen and and when that's all going on there's only so many things you can like churn through learning wise on Google before they start to either contradict themselves or say the same thing but in different words and then you're just you know spinning your wheels trying to apply it so when we think about parents who are stuck in this in this dynamic it's super important to know what to prioritize first because one of the things that we observe a lot of parents uh, be, you know, be seriously struggling with is where to focus their time and energy first. So when you think about picking your battles, um, you got to know why you're picking your battle. And why can't be because I am tired. And I, I mean, I'm not trying to say you're not allowed to be tired. You're a parent, so like you're probably tired. Um, and it's also true that, and you guys will hear um, Tony's interview, we'll set that up for you in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, three months ago she was exhausted and now she's like taking on a new position and um, changing some of her lifestyle things and managing a second job and, and just like crushing it in a pandemic with two children under five. Um, and so th there's a there's a difference between being parent tired and meltdown, overwhelm, survival mode tired. And so that's super important to understand for you as well. Because when we talk about what's developmentally appropriate, what's also developmentally appropriate for you as an adult, as a parent, um, because that's a developmental stage too. Uh, we all know that our empty nester friends have more energy, but how much more energy? That's a question that you should be observing. So, sorry, I went on a tangent here. When we think about strategy and what it takes to turn this around, you need to be able to systematically help your child manage their emotions, communicate their needs effectively with using their words and their nonverbal behavior so that you can understand them, so that they can advocate for their needs without melting down and you need to be able to do that in, in a way that's repeatable, structured, so that you're not your kid's therapist day in and day out for the rest of their lives. Because another thing that I see happen is that uh, parents are, are learning from you know maybe other professionals or other coaches that this is doable, but the strategy is hear your kid out and um, exude lots of love and show your child that you understand them and that you're here for them and you're like, okay, then what? How do I get them to put down the iPad? So um, without throwing it across the room or without you throwing it across the room because let's face it, in a pandemic, that iPad could be useful. Um, uh, within reason, right, for those of you who use screens in your household. So I'm speaking about a lot of things here today. I've been going for about a half an hour and it's late. So I'm going to kind of wrap, I'm going to wrap up at this point. 
But really what you want to focus on is helping your child name their emotions clearly, be able to communicate that in their their language that's developmentally appropriate. So whether that be verbally and non-verbally with you, they need to be able to um, practice their ineffective behavior and, um, and do it in a way that you're able to teach them what to do differently instead. And then they need to be able to do all of that without experiencing shame. So we see a lot of parents trying to tackle this on their own and unfortunately kids keep going with the conversation that you might be having with your child about what they can do differently next time Um, and it it ends with I'm sorry I'm such a bad kid mommy or um, you know worse as we've talked about before with with thoughts of of not wanting to live anymore or or at all you know what's the point or you guys would be better off without me which is devastating to hear as a parent Um, let alone more than once so when, uh, and especially when you're trying to help your, your kid grow out of their intense behaviors, uh, because you already know your kid's in pain. They're literally writhing and screaming as if they're on fire. And that's what's going on in their heart and in their head. So when we think about that as a true event, fact, that's what's happening for your child, then it's important to act now because even if for you, that's not um, something that, that you think needs to be addressed immediately. For your child, they've been dealing with way too much pain for way too long, and that's what we need to be focusing on. So I would encourage you guys to break this down, listen to this, um, take the notes that you need to, and then get back on a phone call with us, um, or get on a phone call. I don't want to say get back, get on a phone call with us, so that you know exactly what you need to do to set set up that step by step strategy. Because I don't know if what we do will be the best fit for you until we speak. So you got to get on the phone, speak with me or a member of my team, so we can support you in knowing exactly what works, whether or not we're a fit to work together. And if we're not, then we'll just tell you what works, uh, what's going to work more effectively for your family and we'll steer you in an appropriate direction uh, because we're, um, we're not one-size-fits-all and it's also true that by the time you get on the phone with us, it is pretty intense at this point. So you've got to act at, um, at t- you got to take action at some point. So why not make it now while you have more availability to teach your child and to manage that intense emotion while without managing all the other extra factors, including travel, etc. So Go ahead, go head over to Megan Thompson Coaching backslash talk, dot com backslash talk, and I'll put the link in comments as well as see if I can briefly go over that uh, rabbit hole of YouTube to find that mama bear link um, just for some reference and maybe some mild entertainment. All right, have a good day and I'll speak with you soon. Bye. Thanks for joining me for this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you're ready to join a community of parents focused on eliminating the daily meltdown cycle and want more support, be sure to join our free Facebook group, Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja, where we provide free video trainings to parents just like you. You can find that in the search bar of Facebook or you can go to facebook.com backslash groups backslash parenting highly sensitive child. Thank you and have a wonderful day.